Welcome back to The Re-Education. Today's show is an interview only. I talked to Nissan Dekma, who is the Deputy Chief of Security at Kibbutz Nahal Oz. That was one of the small farming communities, I guess, that was attacked on October 7th by the Hamas terrorists. I think it's a very, very good interview, so please enjoy, and we will be back soon with more great content. Welcome back to The Re-Education. Right now, we are delighted and really fortunate to have Nissan Dekalo, who is the Deputy Head of Security for Kibbutz Nahal Oz, which was one of the kibbutzim that was on the border attacked on October 7th by Hamas. Nissan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? You're welcome. Well, I'm uh, dealing with post-combat symptoms. Probably looking at a long-term PTSD uh, ahead of yeah. me, but I'm uh, I'm treated by psychologists, and we're alive. We're thankful for, to be alive. Yeah, I know this might be traumatic and difficult, but is there? Can you can you talk a little bit about what that horrible day was like? Because you were obviously on the front lines. The day started at six thirty on a motors bombshell, which was nothing we have seen before. And we had a small group of army that was uh, an occasion in the kibbutz. And that was our luck because they were able to help us to fight. Uh, the only ones in the kibbutz that had a long rifle was me and Ilan, Ilan Fiorentino, that died that day. He was the head of the security. And the 20 minutes to the start, after the bombshells, after 20 minutes, there were Hamas terrorists inside the kibbutz shooting at us. Did you get a sense of how many there were and 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 what, what did it seem like they were doing? My estimate was that there were like armed 60 or 70 guys from the Hamas and there were hundreds of looters that came into the kibbutz from the Gaza Strip. Ordinary okay. people, ordinary kids that came into the kibbutz and looted the kibbutz. Uh, and maybe talk a little bit about when you realized that this was more than just rocket or mortar fire, when did you know that this was an invasion? As every uh, that happened with the Gaza Strip, it always started with mortars, and we were used to it. But this time it was very heavy bombshell. And then I took my two kids to the safe room. My wife yeah. was abroad at her sister in Cyprus, and I took the kids to the safe room. And I locked them in the safe room and I went to my room and I picked up my, my armored vest and uh, my helmet. And then a guy from the kibbutz called me and said, I asked him, is it urgent because I'm getting prepared? And he said, yes, it's very urgent. Motorcycles and terrorists on the back gate of the kibbutz. On this moment, I understood that we are in a different situation. Can you talk about what some of the terrorists did once they got into the kibbutz? Well, basically, they shot everything. They killed kids. They killed dogs. They killed everything. Everything they, that was in their sight, they just slaughtered them. We were a small, we were only seven guys, five army guys and me and uh, Beri Meirovic, which is, they had the commander of our security team in, in the kibbutz. And uh, he's the leader. And he, when Ilan died, he, knew, he called me and he said, asked me if I need help. 
and he came and helped me to fight. Did you were you able to take any of them out? We took a lot of them out. We took a lot of them out. After, I mean, after afterwards, that the army told me that their their estimate was like a hundred to a hundred and twenty armed forces from Hamas inside the kibbutz. Mm. We've heard in America the horror stories, the torture, the rape, burning families alive. Did you come across any of that kind of sadistic activity in your kibbutz? Well, yes, we did. We have casualties in the kibbutz. We have 13 people from the age of 18 up to 85 that were slaughtered that day. There, are, there is a family that they came in and they shot an 18-year-old girl in the head. And then they took her father hostage to Gaza. We have actually five hostages in Gaza, mm. ranking from the age of eight to 85 or 84. Mm. One, of the, one of the kidnapped girls, which is only 15, she's called Daphna. And she's one of my old boy best friends. They used to hang out almost every day together. Yes. And she's now hostage in Gaza. Awful. Awful. So I just wanted to, did you find evidence of the beheadings or things like that? Fortunately for myself, I didn't allow myself to go into the houses of the one that were killed because mm. I knew, I knew what, it, what it's going to burn in my mind. My, my mind is already burned from the fighting. We yes, are fighting for eight hours. For eight long hours, we were fighting until the army sent enforcement. Now, as an Israeli, what do you think happened in terms of the security failure that allowed such a atrocity to occur? Well, Ibris, we were longer in need of a. We used we used to have a platoon in the in, inside the kibbutz. Like two years ago, they took out. There was a company. Of, of soldiers that used to be in the kibbutz for security. And I had yeah. a company of 16 men from the kibbutz, civilians that were on, the, on, the, on my team that had long rifles in the house. Two years ago, they said that they completed the barrier and there is no longer tunnels coming across from Gaza Strip to Israel. So there's no longer a need for, for that kind of security in the kibbutz. If you ask me what, what is the reason for, for the harassment, it's high hybris. We're because so they, sure that they would not do it. Because there was a, just so I understand, there was a, an understanding that the barrier would protect these border kibbutzim and areas. And you're saying that that was hubris. The, the, the barrier cut off all the Hamas tunnels that dig out under the border and they're yeah. coming into Israeli territory. That was our bigger sphere, Hamas territory, terrorists coming from, from a tunnel under the kibbutz. And they cut it off. And then they put a new fence and they say, now we have the fence and we, have the, we, we cut off all the tunnels. So there's no longer a need for that kind of a security. I see. Okay. And I've, there have been some stories that have said that some of the Gazans who had been working in these kibbutzim gave the information about where to go. Is, is there some truth to that and what happened with yours? We know that for a fact there were maps found on terrorists that shows that they knew the locations of the kibbutz. They knew the locations of the head of the security in every uh, kibbutz. 
two friends of mine, the head of the security from Kibbutz Be'eri and the head of the security from Kibbutz Kfar Aza, they were, and, and Ilan, my head of security, they all died on the, la, on, the, on the first 30 to an hour of fighting. They knew where they are. They knew to target them. Okay. So, the, so do you, who, how do you think they got that information? Well, me included. I, I raised my kids uh, knowing that always I, I used to tell my kids, you know, there are kids your age behind this fence that lives in the Gaza Strip, and they are not as fortunate as you mm. because they were born on the wrong side of the fence and they have Hamas and the t- dictators that are ruling their lives. And I'm sure that they want peace. And, and we always thought that, that if they'll have what to live for, there were guys from Gaza working in our agriculture in the kibbutz. Mm-hmm. We employed guys from Gaza when, when it was when we could, we employed them because we thought that we'll, they'll have money and then they'll live profit life and, and they would be able to, to live dignified, dignified life. Yeah. But we were so wrong because they were just picking up intelligence for the Hamas. Uh, it must have felt like a betrayal. Did you feel like you were friends with any of them? Uh, I wanted to look at them as people, but from this October 7th, yeah, I saw the hatred. I yes. saw the hatred in their eyes. I saw the hatred of not only armed Hamas soldiers, even Gaza people that came in to swarm into my kibbutz and looked in my kibbutz and I looked in their eyes and I saw hatred. Yeah. They, were, they were participating in the killing. Yeah. Was there evidence that any of the fighters were on amphetamines. There was some reporting I've seen on that. Could you say? Yeah, they had drugs on their vest. I've seen it on, on my eyes. They had amphetamines and then they have drugs to sedate so they can oh. kidnap people. Oh, really? So they sedated people that they kidnapped? Yeah, yeah. Oh, to prevent so them to, from, from trying to get out. So they had sedative drugs in there and they have amphetamines on them. If I, if I could ask you, Nissan, a personal question, and it's one, as somebody who is living 6,000 miles away, but I'm Jewish, and I felt that this was an attack on all of us. How do you control the rage that, so that it does not consume you? I think that that's such a hard thing, and I would imagine if I was in your position, I would be kind of so perpetually angry that it would lead me to want to do just to do want to do monstrous things in response, and I want to know how it is how how you maybe how you handle that as somebody who lost so much and fought that day. Well, as you, as you started and you said, we are Jewish. Yes. We are Jewish, and our moral code prevents us from being. being I, I cannot if I, if I'll do those things, so I'm not as different as them. I'm not so different from them. And I want to be different. I fought for the kibbutz for a long eight hours till, till the backup came. And I knew that at, at that day in the morning, I already gave up my life. I, I knew that I'm dead. And I was fighting knowing that I'm a dead, but I have to hang on as much as I can to get enforcement. Because if I would fall, the whole kibbutz is slaughtered. 
And right. that's why I, 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 I fought fearless because I just gave up my life. Mm. There's, a, there's a great quote from one of the veterans of World War II in the Pacific Theater who talks about this idea that when you know you're going to die, there's a certain kind of freedom and exhilaration that comes with that. And that when you survive, you walk around and you still feel dead inside. Do you, do you feel dead inside right now? Well, I, <laughs> I was just talking about it with my psychologist yesterday. Yeah. I told him that I, I, I feel that I'm lying, bleeding in Nakal Oz right now. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for someone, to, 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 for the medics to come and pick me up. Right. That must be so difficult. It is. It is. Your children is. survive? My children survive. I have a 13 and a half year old daughter and a 16 and a half year old son. They were sitting in a shelter room alone oh. from, from, the, from the hour 6.45 a.m. until I came back home like at 8 p.m. I think was the first oh time goodness. that I got home. My wife was uh, visiting her sister in Cyprus and she was experienced it from, from abroad. She knew about the attack. She, she had the rocket application starting ringing in the morning. And then when she got in and the news started to come, she understood that we are under attack. The kibbutz yeah. was occupied. Yes. And she was on FaceTime with the kids the whole day long, but they didn't know that I'm alive until 6 p.m. That oh was the goodness. first time that, that was the first time that I managed to uh, contact them. Oh, how are your children handling it? Well, a lot of psychologists, they're not really talking about it. Yeah. Every now and then I hear stuff from them. Like my daughter said to someone and I overheard it like a couple of days ago that we have on the safe room, we have like a tunnel for ventilation. And she was thinking that they're, if they're going into the house, the Hamas, they would throw a grenade through it. So oh. she was thinking about a way to move the desk, the computer mm. desk, that it won't hurt them. Oh, horrible. But Her. they're the lucky ones. They're the yes, lucky of ones. Course. I know, I know. They're um, the lucky ones because they survived and they were not touched. But they're not as fortunate. They, they were, there are people that weren't as fortunate like my kids. I um, want to now ask a different kind of question, which is, We've seen in America, but also in other Western civilized countries, a huge kind of movements on the demonstrations on the streets that have been calling for a ceasefire, that have been accusing Israel of committing a genocide. My first question is, what, what does that mean to you as somebody who saw this firsthand in your kibbutz? Um, how, what, do you, what do you say to that? I know for a fact. I, I, I would tell you that for a fact. I would not go back home if Hamas would exist because Hamas is not a political movement. And I have nothing, I have nothing, even now, I have nothing against the Gaza citizens. Nothing. I have only things against Hamas because they are, they don't care even about the Gaza people. They're collecting them and asking them to come into the Shifa hospital, which we know that the Hamal headquarters sitting under the hospital. And they're asking people to come because they know that we're Jewish. We would not bomb a hospital. 
So there it is sitting under the hospital. As long the Hamas exists, the state of Israel would be always, always on threat. Right. So what you're saying is the people calling for a ceasefire are in some ways calling for Israel to continue to be threatened. The only th- the only one that would benefit from a ceasefire is Hamas. Right. And they don't they don't respect ceasefires as it is. They don't respect and you know what? Israel suggested a ceasefire, just give us our men back. Give us our people back. There are hundreds right. of people that civilians that were kidnapped into the Gaza Street and held by Hamas. Right. There, we have an 84-plus-year-old woman that they kidnapped. For what? For what? Right. She was not a soldier. She was not a, She never attacked them. Yeah. They kidnapped her. Well, they're, they, they don't have the, the morality of human beings. Um, I want to ask you now if you could say anything, because there are, the majority of American Jews support Israel, and I think that they, this atrocity has 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 brought Jewish people in America together. But there is a minority of American Jews who proudly proclaim they are not Zionists, and they demonstrate with these pro-Palestinians. And I just wanted to get your sense, as an Israeli, again, who was on this front line, who was there, you know, saw it firsthand— what is your message to such Jews in America, maybe in Europe, that have come to see Israel as a kind of force for evil? Listen, I come from a family. My mother grew up with no cousins, no uncles, no grandma, no grandpa, because they were all slaughtered in the Holocaust. Yes. And if you don't understand that Israel is the only thing that separates every Jew in the world and another Holocaust, you don't understand what's what's going to happen because there was a, a big general in Israel that, that said a, a big quote that he said, people that doesn't remember his past, his present is lean and his future is vague. Right. And, and I grew up in a family that, that the remembers of the Shoah is, is, is very much alive. And, and I've seen the Holocaust all over again. October right. 7 was Holocaust all over again. The, the stories about uh, how they slaughtered Jews in Europe, I've seen it in my eyes. I've seen how mob just get into the kibbutz and slaughter people and, 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 and burning houses. People mm. inside their houses and they were burning the houses. They were burning cars. They were burning... The, the kibbutz are born. They, they burned everything that they could. And this is just similar to what I've learned in history about yes. the Kishinev's uh, riots. And, and it's the same. It's yes. history happening all over again. And if you're a Jew, you can understand that. But even if you are not a Jew, okay? If you're a, a, a Christian American, I lived in the States for two years. And mm-hmm. even if you're a Christian American and you think that those people and this ideology won't get to you, just wait and see. They're yeah. already conquering Europe. Go to Paris. Try to go with the Star of David on you in Paris. See what happened to you now. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I know it's a very grim topic. I don't know if you can say anything now, but what do you, 
as an Israeli, expect the mission, once it's accomplished, to look like in Gaza? Is the idea that there will be no more Hamas in Gaza? Can you talk a little bit about that? We have to demilitarize the Gaza Strip. There will be no weapons in the Gaza Strip. There will be no missiles that is shooting at civilians. L listen, the IDF is shooting at, 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 at terrorists, and we're so careful to not hurt civilians, while they're, on the same time, shooting rockets into Israel, and they're targeting civilian cities. They're not targeting bases, military right. bases. They're targeting cities. And we are so careful to not hurt them, and they don't care. They have no value for life. We have to demolish Hamas. Hamas cannot exist anymore in the Gaza Strip. I'm hoping, if you, if you ask me about my dreams, I'm hoping that after we conquer the whole Gaza Strip and we extinguished Hamas, Hamas and every militants from the Gaza Strip, that Saudi Arabia, the, 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 the Arabs, neutral countries would come and rehabilitate them. And for, my, for the Gaza Strip people, I'm hoping that they will have a, a marina and hotels on the beach because the Gaza Strip beach is beautiful. I've and, been. And, and they yeah. have something to live for. Yeah. But in the meantime, this is a war that cannot end before we finished Hamas. Because otherwise, myself, I would live in fear. I cannot go back to my home if there is Hamas over the border. We live less than a mile from the Gaza Strip border. Mm. It took them 15 minutes to be in my kibbutz. What would yeah. prevent them to do it again? Yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. With a little bit of time we have left, Nassan, I want to just ask you, I know it's, it seems, I mean, I know that the Israel is unified right now, but do you, do you blame Prime Minister Netanyahu for maybe trusting Hamas that they would want to govern and allowing for Qatar to, you know, make sure that they Listen, had funding and things like this. He allowed Qatar to fund all the drills, all the armed, all the missiles of Hamas. He allowed yes. it. He yes. allowed it. I, I, I'm not a very political human being, but he cannot say that he didn't know. He cannot say he allowed it to happen. They were, they were actually training on the last couple of years, weeks. They were actually, we could hear them training about, behind the border. We could hear the shootings behind the border. And they always say that, yeah, yeah, the Hamas is training. What is this training for? Mm. And they were like two or three weeks before the, October 7th. There were riots on the, on the border. And they ended when Bibi Netanyahu allowed the Qatar to add another few millions to the Hamas. Right. So can I see a direct link? Of course. Of course. They found it. it. They bought their weapon with the Qatari money. Do you have the any, Qatari money any, are there any the Israeli leaders right now, Nissan, that you, you are looking to that maybe lead the country out of this? No. Unfortunately, no. Okay. It hurts to say, but no, I, I don't see any, any politician. You know, I, I, I'm looking at, at Israel right now. We are living in a kibbutz up north that's hosting us. Mm. They're giving us, I had an, a minute and a half to pack a suitcase 
and run out of my house. Yeah. I cannot go back to my house because it's, it's a military area now. Right. And there is war happening there. There is a kibbutz that hosting us and they're providing us everything. The Israeli people donated everything that we need, everything. They're yes. hugging us like you cannot imagine. Yes. The Israeli government is doing nothing. Oh. Nothing. They, they, they have declares and they have that, but on the same page, they're transferring coalition funds that they, they promised. So how can you figure it out? I, I don't trust any politician. I'm sorry. I understand. I understand. Nissan, I want to thank you so much. And I, and I really mean this from my heart that I hope that, you know, you get through this because I know that the scars, the mental scars are still going to be there. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share with my audience. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing. 